Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I forgot to mention just a little while ago, uh, we did uh, find a ring in uh, our, we have a, a, a laundry room here for our missionaries and sometimes our workers use it as well and it looks like a wedding band that was in a washing machine. So if any of you know who it belongs to, uh, it's up here on the pulpit, okay? I, ho- I hope it doesn't belong to one of our missionaries, but it could and we'll just hold on to it and see what happens on that, all right? First Corinthians chapter number 1. The Lord has changed my message while Brother Doug is singing that last song. So I'm going to step out by faith and try to be, well, I try to be obedient all the time. Uh, This one requires a little bit more faith. I want to obey Him. I want you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What I want to preach on tonight is three things that God has chosen. Three things that God has chosen. First of all, I want you to notice in chapter number 1, and God, number 1, has chosen the message that He wants preached. God has chosen the message that He wants preached to people. There's only one message that will speak to a sinner's heart and tell them the truth of how they can have a relationship with God and be able to lift up their hands in a song we just finished that says, It is well with my soul. There are not several messages. God is not in the texting business. He sends one message. And the Bible says here in chapter 1, verse 17, He said, For Christ sent me not to baptize. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It's amazing to me how that the education of men and the foolishness of men can actually make the message of the cross ineffective. The scripture here says in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What does that mean? It is the, when you see that word power, it means the authority and the ability of God. So the preaching of the cross to those that are saved, it is the authority and the ability of God to forgive us of the penalty of sin and save us from the wages of sin and the wrath of God. And I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that. Now, but I do want you to keep your hand right there. We're coming right back to it. Our our message is in this chapter. Very simple message. The message I remember when Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. That's what he said he preached. When Brother Lewis and Brother John go into these prisons, those men need to hear the message of the cross. When you have the opportunity to sit down and talk with someone 
about their soul, be sure at some point that that conversation leads to the cross. Turn with me to, keep your hand where you are, turn with me to Isaiah and turn with me to chapter number 53. Isaiah 53. You can, you can join every church and Houston and be baptized by every one of them to the point that you become a tadpole, but it's not going to help you in your relationship with God until you submit yourself to what God has done for you upon the cross. Isaiah 53. What a wonderful passage. But this is the message these men were preaching. Isaiah 53. You'll pick up here with me in verse number 1. Who hath believed I report? The only reason why that person cannot be saved is that they choose not to believe the gospel. You agree? It says, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall come out Jesus here. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. What does that mean? It means that the Lord Jesus did not come and would would not have been placed upon the cover of Vanity Magazine. That he didn't have this long, flowing, beautiful hair and white skin and blue eyes so that women or men would would be attracted to him because of how handsome that he was. The scripture says here that he had no form nor comeliness. That means he was not a very handsome or good-looking individual. When sometimes you see somebody that uh, maybe is a little on the ugly side, you say, boy, they're a little bit uncomely. It refers to their appearance. And here the Bible says, no, no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was not interested in you being attracted to what he looked like. He wanted you to be attracted to who he was and who he represented and what he was. Verse 3, the Bible says he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. We're talking about a man who was in heaven, who came to the earth, became a man, to identify himself with you and I being a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. If you think that Jesus does not comprehend the feelings of your heart, your mind, your life, you are wrong. He says, and we hid as it were our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He's referring to the nation of Israel. They did not appreciate him. He was not what they were looking for. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What does that mean? It means that when they saw him on that tree, the majority of the folks that saw him hanging on that tree said to themselves, Man, to be on a tree, to be hanging on a cross, means that there is something that he has done that is wrong. And he is facing the judgment of God for something that is going on in his life. That's what both of the thieves were hanging there for. And when they saw him, they said, yep, he's done something. He's gotten caught, and now he is facing this. But the Bible says here, and that's what they said. They said, hey, you know what? Uh, He is being judged of God. And anybody that was hung on the tree in those days was considered to be cursed of God. 
Well, he was cursed of God. But he wasn't cursed of God because of something that he did. He was cursed of God because of what we have done. The Bible says in verse 5, But he was wounded for whose transgressions? Ours. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Ours. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Don't take that verse out of its context. He is healing us of our transgressions. He is healing us of our iniquities. He is healing us of our sins that we might have peace with God. Verse 6, the preacher says, All we like sheep have gone astray. I have this in my office above my desk behind me. If you sit in my, my office and you're looking at me, you look above it, you'll see this verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's not one of us in this room that has not sinned against God. Willfully, we out sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is a powerful statement. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Peter said that he committed himself to the Father and to his Creator, his soul, knowing that he was faithful. But the thing about it is, if someone were to slap me, it would be very difficult for me not to respond. If somebody plucked your beard, it would be very difficult for you not to react. Why, as a matter of fact, we don't even like anybody cutting us off in traffic. We don't like anybody sitting there on their phone when the light turns green. We start hammering the horn. The Bible says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was beaten beyond recognition. And yet he opened not his mouth and all he had to do was say a word and legions of angels would have came to take him from that tree. He was there being strapped there by his love for his father and his love for you. How deep is that love? He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Why? Because he knew he was in the will of the Father. He came to die for sinners. Verse 8, the Bible says, He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. That verse is referring to the fact that he would also be buried in a rich man's tomb. It was he? Absolutely. But look at this. This is an amazing truth here to me. It's hard for my human mind to comprehend it, but I thank God for it. It says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For God, the Father, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe upon Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Because God knew that was the only thing and the only way that you and I could be reconciled to him would be that if someone who was sinless would take the sin upon himself. I love that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that teaches us about God reconciling us unto himself, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That blows my mind. can't comprehend that. The wisdom of the world cannot explain that. But God wants that message declared. And the scripture makes it very clear that Jesus Christ, when Adam sinned in the garden, his sin was imputed to us. It passed on to us. I was born a child of disobedience. By nature, a child of wrath. And the scripture teaches me that when Jesus died on the cross, somehow in some miraculous way, God took my sins and he imputed them and placed them on Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a miracle. It's the miracle of the new birth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is the love of God at work. He had put him to grief. Oh, you say, no, it was the men and the soldiers and all of that. Yes, they had their part and they were guilty. But I promise you that Jesus Christ laid his life down and gave himself. He said, look at this, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So therefore, our soul requires an offering for sin. We have nothing to give that is sufficient. God is sick and tired of all the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. And there's nothing you have to offer that can wash away your sins. That puts us in a tight spot. And the Bible says here that Jesus Christ became an offering for sin. Do you understand that? Do you see that? According to the book of Hebrews, it was one offering once forever. His soul, an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. That emphasizes the fact that he would not stay dead and that he would be raised from the grave. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now look at this. This is amazing to me. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. When God the Father looked down from heaven upon Jesus Christ while he was hanging there on that tree, he reached up there and turned the lights out. The Bible says the earth became dark and he shook the earth and the veil in the temple was rent. And as God was looking down upon that and his son was becoming sin, the Bible shows us right here in the scriptures and this was all prophesied that it would take place and it did. God the Father looked down and saw the travail of his soul. And if you read through the scriptures in John and through Luke and in Matthew and in Mark, You'll find the different views of people who looked upon the cross, not, not, not contradicting, but complimenting one another and looking upon that and hearing him scream and cry out and say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the reason he did was for you and for me. 
He says, you shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You want to satisfy the Lord tonight? Then you believe upon his son. The Bible says, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And by the way, I'm one of those many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus is bearing my iniquities. Oh, yes, he is. Thank God. And so I want you to see here in verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. That is a prophecy that he would die between those two thieves. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And there he hung on the tree and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And so when Paul got to Corinth and was writing this letter to them and they were having some issues in the church, he said, listen to me. He said, you guys, you stay focused and you preach the right message. You preach the cross. You preach Christ crucified and risen again and coming again. That is the message that God wants the church to constantly, consistently proclaim. If these missionaries that we support around the world in all these different countries, if they vary off of that message, we will not support them anymore. They are to stay focused on the message of the cross. You'll notice the second thing. That's God. God chose that message. He chose that message. Every track we have, the presentation that we have on the little card that we give out by Brother Travis is the message of the cross. You say, well, I, I, I give it to somebody because they've got a problem with alcohol. They've got a problem with drugs. No, listen, the problem is the heart. Alcohol is the fruit, but it's not the root. The root is the heart. And if you don't fix the heart, the other stuff is not going to change. That's what government facilities do. That's what prisons and jails do. They, they work to restrain the fruit of sin. The church is to focus on the root of sin. And when you guys go into these jails and prisons, be sure that you remember that. You cannot reform them. They need to be transformed by the power of the cross. And, buddy, it can do it. Amen. Turn with me now to chapter 1 again, if you would, please. But God has chosen the message of the cross, the message of the cross that Christ died for us. And verse number 21 says this. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Isn't it amazing? God could have left us a DVD, a drama of the cross that would have lasted throughout the centuries, but He chose to call men to preach the gospel. That is His Method, the preaching of the cross. Look in verse 23. He said, but we preach Christ crucified. Look in verse number, chapter 2, verse number 2. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him, what? Crucified. Now you, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a couple of pages back to your left. You'll notice there in Romans chapter number 10 that God still has, listen, God has not backed off of His message and He hasn't backed off of His method. 
God still requires the preaching of the Word of God. The proclamation of the gospel. Romans chapter number 10, please, if you would there. And uh, let's look at what he says right here. Look in Romans 10 and verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Isn't that a wonderful statement? Saved from what? From the wrath of God and from the wages of sin. Saved, having your name written down in the Lamb's book of life so that you'll not have to stand there at the great white throne of judgment as they search through those books to see if your name is in there or not. Look in verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? A preacher. He said, and how shall they preach except they be sent? How is it, and it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Boy, it was a wonderful time in my life when I heard the message that Jesus Christ died for me and that if I would call upon Him and trust Him as my Lord and Savior, that I could be rid of the burden of sin and guilt in my heart. And that God would save me and make, he, make me His child. You've heard my testimony a little bit about how, man, I, I would go to bed at night afraid. I'd put a Bible under my pillow as a teenage boy and I'd memorize many of those verses and say them to the Lord. But that did not remove the fear. God in His goodness, God in His mercy, God in His kindness, let my path cross a preacher. Let me hear the preaching of the Word of God And God let me see what would satisfy him. And I bowed my knee and I called upon him and the peace of God came into my heart. And boy, when I went home that night and I laid my head down, there was no fear. There was peace with God. What a blessing. Still there, by the way. Still there. The Bible says here in chapter number 10, look at this. He says, and it was good news when I heard that. It was good news. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, the, the, the gospel is something that you obey. It is something you obey. It's, 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 um, it's something that either you receive or you reject. It's not, you say, no, I just don't want to make a decision. You just made the decision to say no. For they that have not obeyed the gospel... He said, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17, look at this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, in the context in which this is written, the man of God in chapter number 10 is praying to God that Israel might be saved. You could put somebody's name right there where it says Israel. And you pray for them that they might be saved. Is that that a good prayer? That you'd pray for them that they might be saved? Now listen, you don't have to beg God to be willing to save them. He's willing. And He's able. But the Scripture says here in verse number number, number, um, 2, He said, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He said they need to know the truth. Verse 3, 
He said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, where is that righteousness manifested? It is manifested on the cross through Jesus Christ. They go about to establish their own righteousness. If I gave my son to die for you, that you might go to heaven, and then you started looking for another way to go to heaven, that'd make me angry. And the Bible says here, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own, What's the problem here? Why is it they're not being saved here? He says because they would not submit themselves unto the righteousness of God. The salvation of God is so simple, yet it is so difficult because of pride in our hearts. It's really a pride issue. And and God wants me to submit myself and yield myself to the truth. And then look in verse number 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Wow, what a blessing. Look down here, please, if you would, in verse number 8. Talking about the scriptures here, it says, What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that this is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And that just simply means that you are convinced the Bible is true, about what it says about Jesus Christ. I believe it. I believe the record that God has given of His Son. Not a mental assent, but willing to put my whole destiny, my whole future, my soul, based upon that truth. He said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Would you like to be saved? Are you saved tonight? Delivered from the wrath of God and the wages of sin? You can be tonight. Look at this. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My friend, that is just so simple that a child can do it. If you're willing, you know, the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, you'll do it either on this side of the grave or you'll do it on the other side of the grave. I'm glad about 44 years ago that I chose and you chose and you chose to do it on this side of the grave. And we bowed our knees and we called upon the Lord. And there is not one door. There's, excuse me, there's not many doors. There's only one door. And you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ in the simple faith of a child and say, I cannot save myself. I believe that you sent your son to die for me. And I believe what the Bible says about him and I believe what the Bible says about me. And I confess to you that I'm a sinner And Jesus is the only Savior. I ask you to save me, and I believe that you will keep your word. The simplicity of that causes men and women to stumble all over it. Many of you make many plans for retirement. You make many plans to live on this planet. But you need to have an exit plan. You need to have an exit plan. 
It's appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment of God. So, the Bible says in verse 11, the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He said there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, referring to us as Gentiles. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. You say, well, I believe the Bible's true, Brother Roger. But let me ask you a question. Have you called upon him? It does say that you need to call on him. It does say you need to call upon him. You say, well, about people that can't talk, they're mute. Okay. If you're going to be that way about it, if you're going to be a lawyer about it, you can call on God from your heart. Because it's for the heart man believes unto righteousness. And he says... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Say. All right, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and I'll wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. I haven't always been able to sing that. Chapter 1, we saw here in verse number 18 that God has chosen the preaching of the cross. That's the message. Verse 21, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Can you imagine if someone from Fox News or CNN called you up and said, what do you think that the United States of America needs more than anything? And you answered in response, well, I think that we should open up all of the news channels and have a man of God Stand up and preach the cross. What do you think they would say to you? Click? Because it changes the heart of man. The third thing I want you to see is the men and the people that God has chosen to use. And he hadn't changed that. You see, for your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You don't have to find some man sitting with his legs crossed on the top of the Himalaya mountains to be able to find peace with God. You don't have to find a man that uh, has uh, so many degrees behind his name. When he writes it, it looks like a thermometer. You don't have to have that. God is not found that way. God is not found at the feet of the wisdom of the Gentiles and in their schools. He is found when you humble yourself and you bow your knee before Him and the Spirit of God begins to eliminate, illuminate your heart and teach you the truth. And, and listen, He gifts men. On my, on my phone sometimes, there's these things that pop up and says, it's, called, it's a program that you can purchase, and it's called The Art of Preaching. And it's some kind of program that they've come up with to try to teach men how to preach and the art of preaching and how to increase your attendance by 50 or 100%. All of that, my friend, is the methods and the wisdom of men. The Bible says God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world 
I say, well, who told you? You know, if, if, if somebody talked to you about the Lord, they say, well, who told you? Can you imagine the Ethiopian eunuch being interviewed when he got home? And he had this joy on his face that he had been born again. And they, and, and they, they said, well, didn't you go to Jerusalem to worship? They said, yeah, I did. Well, well, and, and somebody gave me a track on Isaiah 53, and I was reading it, and I just couldn't understand it. And they said, all of a sudden, here come this guy out of nowhere that come up to my chariot and knocked on the door and said, hey, man, you understand what you're reading? He said, no, how can I accept some men guide me? So he got up in the chair with me, and he preached to me that this passage was talking about Jesus Christ. He said, I, I really don't know how who he was or how educated he was or what school he went to, what, how many degrees he had. I just know that he understood what he was saying, and he helped me to understand what God was saying. And that's what you're looking for. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Why? So that no flesh could glory in His presence. At verse number 31, God will... Look at this at verse number 30. Why would the Lord take the trouble to save you and change you? He says, But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glory... Glorieth let him glory in the Lord. It would glorify God tonight if you got saved. Because then Christ's death was not in vain for you. And his righteousness will be imputed to your account. And the peace of God will come into your heart. And you can stand with confidence and say that I've been reconciled to God by the death of his son. And my confidence is not in me, but it is in him. And your relationship with God will begin as a child of God. And you simply chose to take God at His word. And when you die and you stand before God, and if God were to say this, He's not going to, but if He were to say this, why should I let you into heaven? You could look at Him and say, because I trusted you. And I trusted your word. And I don't believe it's possible for you to lie. And you said that you sent your son to this earth. Though I've never seen him, I believed the record about your son that he died for me. And you said that if I would trust him and call upon him, that you would save me. And I'm trusting you. And I believe you. Now, when, if you stand before God and you ask that person, you ask a person, if you died tonight and stood before God, what would you? And God said, why should I let you into heaven? And you listen to their answer immediately, and you will know whether or not they are trusting Christ or not. Some will say, well, I, I, you know, I think really I've, I've been pretty good based on, I mean, my goodness and my badness. I've done some bad stuff. You know, we all have failed. That's what they say. We all have failed. But I think... Overall, I've done, been, done pretty good. That's the wrong answer. Let's stand together, please. Brother Doug, I think we need to sing a song tonight. Let's sing just as I am, okay? And church, would you pray? And if you're here tonight, and you 
would like to be saved. The Bible says that there is joy in heaven before the presence of God and the angels over one sinner that repents. It brings joy to the Lord, it brings joy to us, and definitely would bring joy to you. By faith, humble yourself, bow your knee, call upon Him by faith. What number is it, brother? Now, before we sing, Brother John Yaws, I'm going to ask you to pray for us, please.